This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It is Thursday the 26th of November. And we're approaching the 1st of December, Norman, which at least for me in Queensland means that borders are reopening to almost the rest of Australia entirely, which is a first for months now, which is really great, especially for families who want to get together uh, for Christmas and New Year. But um, were the borders, what do we know about border closures in terms of how useful they are in stopping the spread? Is it more about science or is it more about politics? It depends on the date. So if you look at the Victorian second wave, New South Wales, the clusters in New South Wales did originate in Victoria before they closed the Victorian border. There were some people who turned up in Queensland who had been in Victoria. So borders do work when you've got a fair bit of virus circulating there. But the question is, once you've got almost no virus circulating, do the borders need to stay closed? And if you remember, Queensland opened up for a short period before closing down again before the second wave occurred. Western Australia has never really opened up, although it's it's saying it's slightly less onerous now, but it's really effectively closed. At the moment, if a border's closed, and it's really now from now on just WA, I think, really in effect, most other places are open. South Australia will eventually have access to other states once they get over this hiccup with the current outbreak. I think from now on it is just politics because the risk is so low. question is, are we going to slap a border on again if there's a cluster outbreak in New South Wales or a cluster outbreak in Victoria? I mean, there probably will be cluster outbreaks because we're bringing people from overseas. There'll probably be a cluster outbreak in, in Queensland because we're bringing people from overseas. Are we going to keep going backwards and forwards? Well, Premier Palaszczuk says, no, she's not going to do that. Well, if she's not going to do that then, why would she do it now? In other words, if she's not going to do it in the future, why has she done it in the past? I think that now that the Queensland election has passed, then politics becomes less of an issue. The West Australian election is still to come. And I think, quite honestly, even though the risk is incredibly low, if not non-existent, the WA borders will probably remain closed because there's an election coming. You can see why states want to protect the resources of their health departments and protect the people that live in there, but it does seem like quite a blunt instrument to control spread when you think about the size of the states that we have in Australia. Blunt blunt it may be, but it's probably been fairly effective when you've had a lot of virus circulating. But now that there's almost none and we're pretty much well under control, the problem we've got in WA, for example, is people have gone back to virtually back to normal. And if the virus comes in, then they've got a problem because it could spread. But their risk is much more, and and Premier McGowan has said this, Mark McGowan has said this, much more from hotel quarantine than it is from New South Wales or Victoria. And they would have to do what South Australia has done, which is reboot their contact tracing when they get an outbreak. So they're not ready for it. And that's part of the problem as well. So like you say, we're coming into the end of the year with almost completely open borders across Australia. What do you see the first half or let's just let's just sit with the first half of 2021 looking like while we're still waiting for vaccine rollout? Well, I think that what will happen is that we'll continue to bring back people from overseas, Australians from overseas. I suspect we'll see a bubble open up with uh, New Zealand, maybe the Pacific Islands as well, so that there's no quarantine between us because we've got almost no cases. It's really logical for New Zealand to keep on quarantining 
us going there if we've got almost no cases. So I suspect they will relax and open it up to us. They need us as probably more than we need them, but that would be nice. Pacific Islands, pretty low, low risk. Then you've got Singapore, which is a bit more awkward because of the it being a transportation hub. So I think that you start to see some international bubbles opening up. And I think that you're going to see the odd outbreak here or there in Australia, but kept under control. And we'll get back to some kind of normal life throughout Australia and circulating normally. Now, then the question will be, at what point would you open up our borders to international travel? And that will depend, I suspect, on digital vaccine passports. In other words, you're, you're accepting people from overseas if they've been immunised. And of course, that will depend on whether the vaccines prevent infection or just COVID-19 disease. Because if they don't prevent infection, then you could be bringing people in from overseas who've, who are carrying COVID-19 and could spread it here. But if they prevent infection, which is going to take a little while into the 2021 to discover, you may not see vaccine passports being used in Australia until we're sure how effective the vaccines are at preventing transmission. But I think that you could see international flights starting sooner than many expected. Well, let's talk about vaccines because we've had a lot of vaccine news coming out in the last few days and weeks. Uh, and Victor's pointed out, we talked yesterday at Norman about the Oxford vaccine and how the numbers that were being published around that were a bit weird. It based, was There were two different dosing regimens that were involved in that trial, which depending on how you looked at it, either made it look better or worse. And Victor's saying there's an even bigger problem than the one that we spoke about yesterday, which is that fewer than 2,800 volunteers got the half-strength initial dose, the lower dose that had a higher efficacy, uh, but there was 23,000 participants in the whole trial. So how much weight can we put on the high efficacy in such a relatively small group of people? I think that what you can take from this, and it seems to have been an error, so a lot of this became clearer after we recorded Coronacast. I think that it seems to have been an error in dosing, a fortuitous error which showed a much higher efficacy rate. And if you, just to remind people what we said yesterday, is that it's likely to be right because what's happening here is that you can get antibodies to the adenovirus, the chimpanzee virus, that's, uh, that's carrying the virus into the cells, that's carrying the vaccine, I should say, into the cells. And uh, if you give the half dose, then you're not generating as many antibodies to the chimpanzee virus. Therefore, the second dose is likely to be more effective. Interestingly, the Russian vaccine, which has had a lot of criticism, but may not be that bad a vaccine. They're reporting 90% effectiveness, but you've just got to question how they've done the trial and not a very big placebo group. Nonetheless, what they do is they use different adenoviruses between the two doses so you don't get this antibody effect. And of course, the other problem with the Astra vaccine, which we didn't talk about, is that if you need a booster dose a year after the first one, are you going to have antibodies to the chimpanzee virus, which make it less effective? So there's lots of questions around this, but they are probably going to have to restudy the Astra vaccine for the lower dose, because I'm not sure that you're going to get regulatory approval for the lower dose on a small sample, particularly if the trial was not designed to test the lower dose. We're getting, continuing to get lots of questions about vaccines. And David's asking, well, first of all, he says, thanks for being a calming voice in a precarious time. Thanks for listening, David. Uh, and David says, is there any benefit to taking multiple types of vaccines simultaneously? I've no idea is the answer to that. Um, I think you'll be lucky to get one vaccine dose 
or set of doses, in other words, if it's a single dose or a double dose, according to supply, the likelihood you're going to be able to get multiple types of vaccines simultaneously is unlikely. Whether there's a risk attached to that, I've no idea. You're probably better just having one form of the vaccine. So, for example, if you're taking the Astra vaccine in 2021, the question will be, if you do need a booster dose in 2022, do you have it from the Astra vaccine or do you go to the one of the mRNA vaccines, which is like Moderna or Pfizer, or a protein-based vaccine, which is Novavax or the UQ vaccine? In other words, it's a much more traditional vaccine where they're attaching it to an immune stimulant and it's the actual protein of the virus going into your body rather than getting cells to produce it. So there's going to be lots of options but you're probably better holding off and just having one at a time because you get a side effect. Who do you know? How do you know whether or not you're going to get a side effect from that particular vaccine? It's going to be pretty important to do what's called a phase four study, which is a post-marketing surveillance study to watch what happens when people get the vaccine, what sort of side effects they get when the vaccine's been given to much larger numbers of people. So I would rock, strongly recommend get against getting multiple types of vaccines simultaneously. I did hear, I think it was Professor Ian Fraser from UQ saying a few months ago that there could theoretically be a benefit in having two doses, basically two different vaccines, because it could be a bit of like a one-two punch attacking the immune system from different angles. But I think, like you say, Norman, we're probably, we're going to be lucky to get one and it might just be a question of getting what we can get. Yeah, and some of these vaccines, particularly the genetic ones, will The question is just how much of the spike protein are they making versus the protein-based ones, which might be more of the spike, and you might be getting antibodies to different parts of it. So who am I to question Ian Fraser? Um, But it could be quite complicated and knowing what's going to happen. Well, that's all we've got time for in CoronaCast today. If you've got a question or a comment, please send them in to abc.net.au slash CoronaCast. Click on Ask a Question and mention CoronaCast so we can pick it up. And we will see you tomorrow, Friday. See you then.